Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Thank you for your support, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am more than excited than you could ever know for this uh, podcast today. And the reason being is because, well, how do I say this? I have a woman here, Julie Talbot, who embodies class, dignity, just everything in the business that you want out of a president and it's hard to say because you think to yourself all the time well when i think of the term president i normally think of like an approval rating of like maybe 30 to 40 percent at best but in network television in the film business and in the radio business if you're a network president if you have a 30% to 40% approval rating, you don't have a job tomorrow. You have to figure out how to be able to navigate through all sorts of situations and all these different personalities who all want to move up. Everybody in Julie's company wants to move up. And as I sit across from her, I think to myself, of the kind of things that I've experienced with Julie briefly and a few different experiences in my time with Premier Radio Networks, where she is the president. But before I tell that cold open, I just want to say to all of you again who are out there, thank you so much for all of the correspondence you've given me 
during probably the toughest time of my life. I'm so grateful. Julie's looking at me like, what is he talking about? But I lost my mom about a couple of weeks ago. And so I thought I'd start out this podcast on a down note for you. But I was celebrating her life these past two weeks and I'm happy and I'm excited. And thank you all for all those unbelievable messages and cards i it's just incredible i never thought that i would get that much of a response and i thank you and i i would imagine my mom thanks you too so that's great so back to julie so here's a story that comes to me as you all know i don't know what i'm going to say when i sit across from somebody and as i sit across i'm thinking right now to myself of a story that involves a client of mine that uh, I worked with for probably almost a quarter of a century. It's hard to believe. And that's Jay Moore. And Jay Moore has a radio show under the banner of Premier Networks. And it's called Jay Moore Sports. And he does the show every day, Monday through Friday, from noon to 3 p.m. West Coast time. And the story I want to tell you is sort of about perseverance and being in a situation where you never give up, because I think that's really important in our business. And I want to tell you about something. This is my side of the story. This is, I've never said that before in this podcast, (laughs) but this is my side of the story, because in this particular situation... There were several different variables involved that were almost impossible to navigate. But in the end, all roads led to Julie Talbot. And at the end of that road, I knew that when I got in front of this wonderful woman, that it was either going to go one way or the other way. Because in the end, it doesn't matter when you're a president of a network. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Yes, you try to be in a situation where you want to make everybody's opinion count. But if I go into a network television test on a show that I'm executive producing, and there's 10 studio executives and 10 network executives and the casting director and the star of the show and the executive producers, and a guy walks in the room and tests, and another guy walks in the room and tests, and another guy walks in the room and tests, and all three leave the room, and you know what happens every single time? Every head turns to the president like it's an E.F. Hutton commercial. And he either says, I want this guy, or I don't. And the person he picks, doesn't matter what anybody thinks, in the end, as David Janilari so eloquently said in a podcast with me, Barry, all I get paid for is my opinion. And so a couple of years ago, I had a a vacation plan during the winter break, and I got wind through a source of mine at a firm, which shall remain nameless, that Jim Rome wasn't going to continue with his contract with Premier Radio. And I personally love Jim Rome, and Jay Moore, for those of you who know, was a guest host on Jim Rome's show for 14 years. 
And I thought to myself, okay, well, I've gotten in. I know he's not going to be coming back. And I will make the call to the three people that I think will be able to help. One would be Julie, who I didn't have a relationship with, but she did talk to me briefly. One was Don Martin, who was uh, uh, under Julie and in charge of helping to put the talent together for uh, that station and as a liaison also with the L.A. radio station affiliate, I believe. And there was one other person, and I made the phone calls, and I found out from Don Martin, well, Jay is kind of polarizing. He's a guy who we know can draw on a great audience, but he's the kind of guy, he has a very opinionated, and he has a great, great power on the radio, but we don't know if that will possibly turn people off or turn people on and besides Barry it doesn't really matter because in all fairness I can't say anything but we're already under negotiations with somebody else and we're not going to be able to do anything with Jay Moore at this time but we'll keep him in mind and I thought to myself how is this possible I just got word that Jim Rome is leaving and they're under contract with somebody else and so I couldn't get an answer from anybody regarding who that person was. And so I had to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into my sources over at Fox, which was a part of the liaison of the group. And unbelievably, I found out that the offer that was out was to somebody who I believe had never done radio before in any major capacity. He was a television guy, a very respected television guy on Fox NFL Today, Kurt Menefee, a really amazing talent. And as things go, you don't know as you're a manager what you're going to do in those situations because you don't have any information. You don't know if he's really gotten an offer you don't know if it's just a verbal. You don't know if it's just they're just asking him if he wants to do it because you don't have any paperwork in front of you. So you're guessing, you're, you're, you're thinking, what would the strategy be? What would Kurt Menefee's manager do in this situation? And at the time, I knew Kurt Menefee's company that was managing him, but his manager was a really, really amazing agent in this day, John Ferreter, who became a manager, a very strong manager. And I, that concerned me even more because he was fantastic and one of the greatest guys in getting things going ever. But I knew he was a busy man and I knew it was the holidays. And if I could figure out a way to just get Jay Moore a test, just, just to go on the air, just to do something, to show Julie and Don Martin at the people at Fox that Jay could do this. And I just kept calling and calling and calling and calling until finally Don was like, all right, all right, it won't hurt to put him on for just you know a few hours. We'll get him in here. I'll work with him and look, you know, for the future, whatever happens. And I said to Jay, if you get in there and if you can blow these people away, they may have second thoughts. Because even if you're in a movie, if you're a movie director and you have this great African-American role and then you see Chris Rock for the role and you're like, wow, Chris Rock, he's amazing. He's my guy. And then Dave Chappelle's manager calls and you're like, 
Dave Chappelle? Let me see him come in here. Jamie Foxx. Oh, what do I do? So I knew if, if Jay could go in, part of my mind said, Julie, that John Ferreter might be the kind of guy that would say to his client, if there actually was even an offer, which I didn't know for, for sure, but John Ferreter struck me as a guy who was like, hey, my guy's on television, 10 million people are watching him a week, and I don't want him to test. You, you can make him an offer or, or not. I took a bet that that might be what the story was. Again, I can't say to this day what the story is, but I knew if I got Jay in, and Jay went in, and Don called me after, and he was like, Barry, um, you know, Jim Rome show, it's interesting because they, they, the guest host, they go in, they don't really know how to tease, how to do whatever, and working with Jay, showing him the ropes, he was pretty good. Let's, mm -hmm. let's have him come back uh, the next day. Came back to do a test the next day, and Don called me, and he said, Barry, I, I really am blown away by this guy. He just got it right away. And he takes the coaching well, and he knows how to put it together. And I think there's something there. And I, I think we're going to talk with the group and see what might happen. And after that, he says to me, well, there's one more step. Going to have to meet Julie Talbot. And I didn't know what to expect when I came in and met you with Jay. And what I want to say to all of you in this audience that listens to this, and there's so many of you, it's crazy. You never know when you walk into a meeting with anybody, whether their niece just had a baby, their sister got married, somebody in the family was diagnosed with some horrible disease. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if there's pressure on them that day or not. But one of the things when you walk into Julie Talbot's office, what you realize is no matter what she's going through in that particular day, you will never know it. <laughs> and we walked in. It was as if we'd known Julie Talbot forever. We sat down and something happened that I realized was the key to her success and management throughout all these years. She made us feel safe, and we were the ones that were supposed to make her feel safe. And we came in, and we had this wonderful dialogue, and honestly, true to form of a great executive, we barely talked about the show, what it would be, how it would happen. What we talked about was life, and how we were doing and what we were doing. And it was like a, a wonderful first date. And I got out of that meeting and I went down the elevator with Jay and I said to myself, God, if we could ever be fortunate enough to get this job would be one thing. But more importantly, if we could ever be fortunate enough to work under the banner of Julie Talbot. That would be a dream come true. 
And sure enough, during the holidays, we got the word that Jay Moore, unbelievably, against all odds, had gotten the job and was going to start on January 2nd. (laughs) And I know in my heart and all of you out there that no matter how many yeses there were on the way in and how many noes were on the way in, there was one road that we had to go through in Julie's office to make sure that she felt comfortable that Jay Moore was the person who could deliver for her. And I'm grateful to say that that meeting went well. And if you're an artist and all the odds are against you, never, ever give up. Never, ever take a no. A no means nothing. A no means nothing at all. Just drive right through it. Because in the end, you have to look at the fact that there might be managers, there might be agents that are playing cards that they shouldn't be playing. You don't know. You have no idea. They might be playing everything perfectly. And then you just have to be 10 times better than the other person. But sometimes there's other variables and they're all out there in a way that can get you and knock you out. And you just got to keep going forward with your goal. And for 14 years, Jay Moore wanted to have his own radio show. And I always said, your time will come. And because of his perseverance, and for me, just turning the no's into yeses, Jay Moore and his talent, and Julie Talbot and her talent for recognizing talent, allowed both parties to come together and create a radio show that's one of the fastest rising radio shows in the country. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Here we go in three, two. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. Infections caused by jacuzzi water. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. Okay, here we go. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air!
people on Twitter have been asking for Barry Katz to come back a lot. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Here we go. You fucking firing me up, Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Undeniable. Creating holy shit moments. I love this man. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am excited. Yes, I am, because I have Julie Talbot, the president of Premier Networks. That's right, the president. That's right, the president. And I'm excited to introduce her. I'm going to give her the proper introduction that she deserves. You should see how she's dressed. It's like unbelievable, like so classy. It's crazy. It's like, look, I'm wearing like uh, early American homeless. And she's got like these incredible, it's like, it's like something out of, like she came from London on the West End going to a Broadway show. It's like unbelievable. You look so good. Oh, you're making me laugh here. All right. Well, that's the hey, key. Hey, first of all, I want to say, that you and I need to dedicate this podcast to mothers throughout the country oh, and the world. And I had beautiful. no idea. So uh, knowing how much my mother influenced my life, I'm certain that I can feel it from you that you're feeling that as well. So uh, here's to moms throughout the world. All right. right. That's beautiful. Right. That's perfect way to go into the introduction. Okay, here we go. Ready. Julie Talbot started her career in advertising at BBDO, where she spent five years as a supervisor of media planning and buying. However, her love of radio took her to MJI Broadcasting, where she spent 19 years as COO of MJI Broadcasting. Talbot was instrumental in growing the company from five people to more than 100. 50. She also led the effort in acquiring the exclusive radio rights of the Country Music Awards and the CMA Music Festival for the company. In 1999, Premier Networks acquired MJI Broadcasting. At that time, Talbot joined Premier as a senior vice president of integrated marketing solutions, focusing on advertising sponsorships. And in 2003, she was promoted to executive vice president affiliate relations. In that role, she oversaw staff that increased affiliations for programs hosted by Jim Rome, Glenn Beck, George Norrie. Mm. Bob and Tom, Steve Harvey, Keith Sweat, Elvis Duran, Fox Sports Radio, all hacks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> incredible, incredible, incredible lineup. In 2009, Talbot was named president, content and affiliate relations for Premier Networks and then promoted in September 2012 to the extend that title to Clear Channel Media at the time and Entertainment's national media groups. In January of 2014, she was promoted to president of Premier Networks. In her current role, Talbot continues to oversee the operation of Premier Networks radio programs and services and manage business partnerships with talent while leading and maintaining key affiliate relationships to sell and service Premier Networks, Total Traffic and Weather Network, and iHeartRadio, Clear Channel's free industry-leading digital music service. The position also provides the company affiliates with a simplified and streamlined point of contact for communicating and conducting business across Clear Channel's diverse group of subsidiaries. In 2014, the editorial board of Talkers Magazine honored Talbot with their Judy Jarvis Memorial Award, also known as the Woman of the Year, for her outstanding contributions to the talk radio industry. 
a native of the bluegrass state of Kentucky. Talbot received her B.A. from the University of Kentucky and attended the business strategy program at Columbia University Graduate School of Business. She lives with her husband and three children in New York City, and she just flew in here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome (laughs) Julie Talbot. Thank you. I am so happy to see beautiful sunshine in Los Angeles. (laughs) I have just come from the Arctic, New York City, and it really does look like the Arctic, I will say. So um, I was supposed to come in last night, but of course, uh, the snow uh, did not cooperate, and so I took a a 6 a.m. You look fantastic. Oh, Barry, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you, uh, You pointed out so many things in my background, and I really have been so lucky to have so many fun opportunities. I mean, even as a graduate at the, you know, when I came out of the University of Kentucky, MTV was just beginning and one of the largest advertising agency was BBDO and they were hiring all of these kids out of college to see if it might work, if video (laughs) on TV might work. And so we just had a great time really exploring. In those days, it really was a breakthrough type of format um, with MTV. And so the entire advertising community was just really great fun to work in during those days. So creative and uh, young and uh, just so vital. Uh, and now, and now, so uh, interestingly enough, so just I, I hope you don't mind me asking, no. but can you just because I think this is important to get to this point of BBDNO. It's BBDNO. Or yes, it was Batten, Barton, Durston and Osborne. But that is such a mouthful that everybody called it BBDO. So I wanted you to do me a favor and like go go way back, if you will, to the point where you didn't have any idea of being in the business it's like where were you where'd you grow up did you grow up in a in a in a what was your oh i'm a country girl oh my gracious i'm from the bluegrass go cats good year for basketball (laughs) anybody that's into it uh and we certainly are at in the in the state of kentucky and we continue to to, uh, support no matter where you move um so what kind of town in kentucky uh, town of five thousand very small town, but we had 13 distilleries in our town, bourbon distilleries, of <laughs> course. And in those days, they were all privately held. And so whoever was coming for dinner, their bourbon got put on the table. Most people have wine. We never even heard of wine. Ours was whoever was coming for dinner, the bourbon was on the table. So how old were you when you had your first sip of bourbon? Oh, my goodness. We, you know, when our teeth hurt as ch- as little bitty babies, they were rubbed. <laughs> with bourbon. So that is just part of our growing up. That is, uh, it is, as the French are to wine, uh, the Kentuckians are to bourbon. It is, that is just uh, an integral integral part of our lives and seem very normal. So you're growing up, is it like a middle class kind of household? It is. uh, We're really lucky. My family is, um, uh, my uh, dad was an attorney. Uh, He was in politics, actually. He was the uh, county attorney of our little community. And my mom's family was in banking. Uh, And it's a country town. So we grew up on a tobacco farm on my mom's side. And we lived in town on my dad's side. And 
Um, and we came and and they were what we called a mixed marriage in those days. Uh, my mom was a Republican uh, Presbyterian and my dad was a Democrat Catholic. <laughs> uh, and so I'm the youngest of six and family is really everything to us. We had our own basketball teams and football teams and um, and. Um, we had parents that were very busy with six kids and, and careers, but we knew that they loved us, and um, and that was really the basis of everything for us was family. And my dad was, you kids can do anything you want, and whether that means, you know, be a small town what owner of a business or go do something else, that's fine, but he encouraged all all of us, uh, to go to do one year in New York because he thought we would come back to Kentucky and kiss the ground we grew up on. But here I am a long time later, 30 wow. years later here. Right? <clears throat> so he encouraged each child to go to New York for a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But go to New York, what, to just to live for a year? Well, find a job, of course. We, you know, uh, that's the thing. I mean, we, we all had to, when I went, my sister and her husband were living there so I could live with them. Uh, and, um, and they had careers there so they could introduce, they introduced me. And then I met people who introduced me. And uh, so I uh, ended up working for an advertising agency. And so, so, so when you're, Going to college at the University of Kentucky, what's your major? I was a business major. I really thought I would follow in the banking community because my my mom's family was there and I didn't know anything differently. And it really was my brother-in-law who, when I came to New York, said, you have no idea what you want to do. Interview for everything. And so I did. And I uh, still remember him. His name was Gene DeWitt. Uh, I had been on, you know, it was a pretty stiff environment of interviews in those days. Everybody dressed up every day. and um, So uh, nothing's changed. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then the banking community was even a little stiffer. But I walked into this ad agency. Gene DeWitt had a cigar in his mouth, his feet up on the table. <laughs> and I knew that's where I wanted to be <laughs> immediately. What, what was it about the cigar and the feet on just, the desk? I just, I just, it just felt great. It was a creative environment. Things were happening, and I just knew I wanted to be there. So it was great. Now, you know, when I was growing up, I used to watch certain commercials that I'm sure uh, BBDO right. were Gillette. responsible. Oh, they were, oh, it was so, so you'd watch. So you'd watch a commercial, let's say, like, uh, there'd be Alka-Seltzer, and you'd just see this guy walking around saying, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. <laughs> and you think to yourself, does it really take a genius to think about these things? Avis, we try harder. I mean, can I? Don't you know, it's really the simple things that are so, it's, that feel like they're so obvious, but it's always an aha moment. It takes a long time to get to those aha moments. I like to call them holy shit moments. Holy shit moments, whatever. <laughs> you know, they're right there. And, you know, I, you know, I think about Jay Moore. That's a holy shit aha moment. <laughs> and, but it took us a while to get there, didn't it? 14-year overnight hey, sensation. Exactly, exactly. Well, that was, um, you know, so, so I stayed at BBDO. 
uh, for, uh, you know, for five years. And what was your really, uh, you know, your supervising media planning? I was junior level, you know, I was a junior level media person who got the opportunity of anybody who had anything they wanted to sell, whether it was a new magazine or a new television idea or a radio show or anything, they would come in and we would talk about it and we'd see if it made sense for our clients like Campbell's Soup or, or Gillette or whom those are the two that come to mind uh, that I was working on in those many years ago days. Um, uh, but it was great fun because it was a constant stream of fabulous ideas people were sharing. They were looking for an advertising sponsor and we were looking for a unique environment for our for our clients and to spend our money wisely. Now, this is yeah. something that many people don't understand, and I don't think I truly understand. So an advertising agency, let, let's just say we go, and you and I are in an advertising, and we go to pitch our campaign to Gillette. Gillette's looking for another a company to bring them great ideas. So we pitch our idea for the campaign to them. Is our company protected and copyrighted from that idea? Let's say we go to Gillette and we have an idea. You know, the first blade cuts it off and the second one takes it, takes it off at the root. And the third one rips it out from underneath your skin. Gillette, edgy. And we go in and they, and they say, that's what we want to do. But they say, yeah, we we're not sure if we're going to do it with you. Can they do it? without you or is are your ideas protected well it just depends on how fully those ideas have been um uh, really vetted um if somebody is just coming in with a concept somebody else might have had an, had a the same concept so no we were never trying to steal a concept or an idea uh, but it is surprising how many people come in with very similar ideas so uh, it really is the person that's farthest down the path who matches your timing. Okay. The next question I have for you is like, what do you, how does a, you know what to charge Gillette? Like, or does Gillette just say, hey, we're going to give you this, take it or leave it? Like, how does that work? Well, you know, when you, uh, because there's such a long heritage of, people buying different properties of knowing production expenses, et cetera, then you know in the realm of what things are going to cost. And that's the expertise of the advertising agencies. They just know that. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it really is about knowing, you know, what was spent on it and, and how do we, you know, how do we parlay that? Um, and, and then you have to run the analysis of, if I spent that much, am I going to get the payback for that much? So it's really, you know, at the end of the day, an analytical situation that has to occur as well. You just can't love a creative idea and say, I want to pay $20 million for that, but I'm never going to reap those rewards. So, uh, in fact, we're really, uh, we're pitching ad agencies all the time now with the Jay Moore Show. We're on the other side. We're going into people uh, at the ad agency sides and at the client levels now looking, you know, to have sponsorships. But let's pretend that you are still at BBDNO right now mm -hmm. and a company frees up. Let's say it's, um, let's say it's Hertz Rent-A-Car. It frees up, they fire their advertising agency 
and they're going to meet with BBDNO, not then, now. What would be the average that a, a major corporation will write a check to an advertising agency for a year contract? Well, it's the other way around. Hertz will pay. I'm the, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Hertz will pay um, the um, advertising agency. And what ends up happening, there's a percentage of the media that they buy, the agency keeps. Like a 15% commission. Mm-hmm. A 15% commission. So the they agency. buy the ads and That's they get right. the commission. Right. And so if they spend $100, then they keep 15 of those dollars. But they also get extra money, or is it applied to that? Like, is it like, let's say, 100 whatever it is, 100% of your, you know, whatever you pay us uh, is applicable to the 15% that comes off or how is it for all the work? First of all, you have to agree upon for all the work that you're going to do. If you're going to create different ads for us, if you're going to place the medium, there are all kinds of different, um, uh, disciplines that an agency can require and that, um, and that an advertiser might need. Some need more, some need less. Some have multiple agencies, et cetera. So when they come, they'll say, look, it's going to take us uh, to produce an ad. It's going to take us several hundred thousand dollars to do an ad. And some may, and depending on the, um, really depending on how um, uh, how intricate the uh, creative can be, it can be even a lot more than that. So, um, it, so you decide on that and you cover those costs. And then on top of that, you have the media. So everything is a negotiation as we know. So what was next? You were five years there. It was going- so, I, so I was working on uh, a Gillette account and, um, disposable razors were being invented. And, um, so, Uh, We were talking with the creative team, and they were bringing in the storyboards for the television uh, and the magazines. And I said, so where's the radio? Where's the radio creative? Uh, And they were like, oh, I I don't know. We don't have any. And I went... These are men, 18 to 24. We don't have a radio creative, but let's get busy, guys. And I had heard on, there was a great radio station in New York called WNEWFM. It was a great rocker. And um, I had heard a little vignette called Rock Quiz, a trivia that incorporated great trivia, rock trivia, and had the, it was sponsored by an advertiser. And I said, so I called NEW and I said, I want to reserve that vignette for us. And they said, oh, that's not, that's not ours. It's a national vignette. And it's produced by a guy named Josh Feigenbaum. And and he has just started a company called MJI Broadcasting. And I said, you have a number for him? And so um, again, I'll go back to in those days, guys, we had to dress up. Everybody dressed up. Everybody wore you know, suits and ties to the office and in walks Josh Feigenbaum in jeans and, uh, and his, you know, little sweater and hair about down to my shoulders. And I was just floored. I was like, this is fabulous. How does your boss let you do that? And he said, I own the company. I can do whatever the (laughs) hell I want to do. And so we worked together on creating a lot of things for Gillette. And 
ultimately a couple years. But that was your interview, and he yeah. hired you right on the spot. Well, no, but you know, a couple of years into it, he said, "We, you should really come over. You know, uh, we're I'm just starting this company, and I think that we could produce some great programming together, get some sponsors for it." and really uh, grow our company. Now, here's what's interesting, Julie. How many people were at his company when he had that conversation? Five people. Five people. Yes, there were five people. And how many people would you say he met throughout the years of working in his business? Oh, golly. Five million, Five of million course, thousands. Yes. But he went to you. Oh, well. And he said, I want you. Well, we did. We hit it off. We, uh, he was, uh, he is such a creative guy, and it was just great fun to brainstorm with him. And I had a lot of the um, discipline of uh, business on my side. And, um, and I came home one night, and I said to my husband, I think I would like to do this. He said, you're going to leave BBD&O and go to a company nobody's heard of? And I said, yes, that's actually what I'm going to do. (laughs) And so we had a great time uh, growing the company over the 19 years. But you took the risk. I did. I loved it. It was great. Against your husband's will. (laughs) Well, it was, you know, just a, a little startling. I think people... In a, a corporate environment, we're very surprised. Now, were you now? You, you don't have to tell me exactly, but let's say you were making a hundred dollars at BBDNO. What did you make when you started? I, I made the I made the same thing going over exactly. But we had an arrangement. Um, we uh, as in a, a a partnership that was going to, if we made it, was certainly going to. Um, uh, be more lucrative for me. So I just was ready for the challenge and the hard work and uh, and clearly the upside. And so you spent 19 years there. Oh, I can't believe it. It felt like 10 or 8 or 2 or something. And so tell me some stories about uh. your journey at that particular company and how it went from five employees uh, to 150. Well, you know, first and foremost, it really was a shock coming from a, a big advertising agency that everybody took your call to going to work for a company with three initials that were named after his grandfather. Um, uh, and nobody took your call. <laughs> so that was, uh, you know, that was the, um, that was the first step, the first shock, but we had the opportunity to, um, to dream what we wanted to create, uh, and we could produce it ourselves. Uh, and then we could sell it to advertisers. And I think our first big name was, um, we really had two, you know, one Jeff Foxworthy, we did a, a Jeff Foxworthy countdown. Uh, and so we brought him into radio and then we also, uh, were able to get the country music association awards and, um, and those were two really very prestigious, um, uh, personalities and name brands for us. And it was, um, and then I think that, you know, ultimately we ended up having about 50 shows and services and, you know, and 150 people. And we just were creating all the time, uh, new, really unique ideas, um, that were needed at radio. It was an audio company. And, um, 
And then one day we looked up and we said, wow, all of these radio stations, which were our distribution outlet, they're beginning to consolidate. We have to really watch this. And there were thousands when we first started. And then there got to be hundreds and then there got to be a hundred. And Josh and I had always said, you know what, when there are only 50 big ones, then we have to we have to sell. And, you know, it really happened that way. We knew that we had great creative ideas, but the big guys were going to be able to take those ideas and duplicate them and have their own distribution. So um, it was Clear Channel in those days, and it was um, um, we met with, uh, you know, all the big players. um, And but the Mays family still privately owned uh, Clear Channel in those days. And um, they were wonderful people. And the one thing that we loved about our little company of MJI at 150 people was that we had fun. Every day wasn't fun, but we tried to uh, we tried to have the right environment for everybody that worked there uh, and that we knew we weren't that we were we were have we were in a very special place in a very special time. And so we really wanted to ensure that people were having a good time. So we most people came with us, stayed with us. Uh, amazingly, my a lot of my top executives right now worked with, for me at MJI. Relationships, everybody. Hey, that's it. And hard work. Smart, smart, hard workers. We like that. And so you're there and you, you, you move up through the ranks. Did. Now tell me about the other three people amongst the five. Did they move up through the ranks? Well, let's see. Um, I like the reason why I ask yeah. this because I think it's important right. for our audience to know like what it takes to navigate through when you're starting with a group of people. Again, you might disagree with me, but the president that hired you, he's not threatened by you. He owns the company. Right. He's not worried about anything. But when you come in and there's three other or four other people there, you know, people are nice and they're cordial and they treat you in a friendly way. But in the back of their mind, they don't want you to win. (laughs) They want to get they want to rise through the company quicker than you. But you it's an unspoken thing and you have to navigate that. How did you do it? Oh, you know, the first thing is don't don't worry too much about that. Get in there and work really hard and and do the things that you love to do and and you know use common sense and things happen in just the right way my really Josh Feigenbaum who is the owner and my partner uh, that I still love to this day um, Clear Channel let us run our business separately for two years and then at the end of two years if we had met certain goals etc then we would get an additional payout and all the wonderful financial uh, uh, benefits that come with that but we just blew by those when we had these assets of this larger company we just blew by that and so even before the two years um, the president of that of uh, premier at that time it was Craig Kitchen came and said (laughs) now we're going to incorporate you all into 
this company. And for Josh, uh, um, th- that just didn't work that well. You know, it just didn't work that well. And so uh, he's been fly fishing for the last uh, 15 years. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't like working for the man. He doesn't. He, yeah, he didn't. He, 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 um, he tried for a little bit, but that just wasn't who he was all about. So he has um, he's kept his hand in the business in a small way, but uh, has really enjoyed his 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 different life. And I uh, and I stayed and I didn't mind working for the man. Uh, and in fact, I, it was um, exciting not to have to go through payroll that somebody else could take care of all that. And um and that there were a lot of there were just so many assets that you could, you know, in all of this big company that you could do a little bit here and a little bit there and, you know, combine it all and really do some amazing things. So I found um, that going starting out at a really large company, going to a small company and then back to a large one has been um, it's made me appreciate both sides uh, uh, a lot. Tell us about your first meeting with Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> oh, gracious. Every time I think of Jeff Foxworthy, I think uh, you might be a redneck if your working television sits on top of your non-working television. He smiles think... as much as you do, okay? <laughs> he uh, really, and it, it, it feels like the same thing. They walked in, uh, and they're just such warm people. We, I think we uh, all had... Uh, similar values of hard work and wanting to win. Uh, and I think that's really been sort of a common theme uh, that I have looked for throughout my entire career with talent that we work with and um, and talent that we bring in. And because you can be really the most talented person in the world, but if you don't want to put the hard work in, there's just nothing that's going to it just will hobble along. You know, I, I just spoke at this class at Boston University the other night. There were some students who had a chance to um, go anywhere in the world for their exchange program, and they decided to go to Los Angeles. And I asked one of the kids in the class, I said, tell me a holy shit moment of yours. And he said, um... I was in my Shakespeare class, and all of us were given five minutes to do something involving Shakespeare in the class, and I decided to write a rap song with the words of a Shakespeare uh, excerpt from one of the plays. And I said, what happened? He said, I got a full standing ovation in the class. I said, that's amazing. That's your holy shit moment. That's great. Uh, how, God, you must have spent hours working on that. And he said, uh, he put his head down. He's like, actually, I just, you know, I just did it a couple of times in my dorm room. And then I just went to class and did it and got a standing ovation. Wow. And I said, that's bad. I'll tell you why that's bad. That's bad because your example in life right now is that you don't have to work hard to win. And so the next time you got some assignment in class and somebody says you should really work like 25, 30 hours on that, you'll be like, what are you talking about? I I don't have to do that. I'll just run it a couple of times and I'll do it. And 
as you know, there's people in every business that are like that. They're people that they don't seem to work hard and they succeed, but eventually it catches up it to does. them. And it's an amazing thing to see. And you can see it with certain performers who are geniuses and continually win. But then at one point in time, you say to yourself, what happened to that guy? It's the athlete. It's the athlete. It's the comedian. It's the it's the talent. And it is uh, and it always catches up. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a great privilege of working with uh, so many hardworking people, including Jay Moore. But Steve Harvey is really one of the most um, amazing guys that we work with. Steve is just has something every minute. And um, he really does everything in 15-minute increments almost with a couple of TV shows and a radio show and a big family and and a foundation that he's running. So it takes a lot of hard work. Absolutely. Yes. So, so 19 years at MJI. Right. Then you move over. To Premier Networks, which was acquired, right, which acquired, right, right. and tell me about that transition. I know your former boss had a tough transition; you didn't. But talk about your role in some of the hit radio shows that are affiliated with these networks and the competition you have with these other conglomerates that are trying to find the person. Who's going to get those ratings? Right. Well, I, I think it was uh, 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little more. Um, but, you know, as a management team, we sat down and said, look, there are a variety of network programming companies out there. And so what do we do to differentiate ourselves how, you know, what is going to be our differentiation? What's going to be our strategy moving forward? And we decided at that time um, that we would, um, that we wanted the A-plus talent in every format. And so um, if it was top 40, we want Ryan Seacrest, we want Elvis Duran, we want... We want all of the, you know, top A talent, which we go after and pursue. But that costs money to do that kind it of thing. It does, issue. and that's why working for a large company and uh, is beneficial because you can prove to them that, yes, it's going to take some heavy investment, but we can make money on this. And when things get tough, when the economy goes down, this is going we are going to have the a players and advertisers are going to not be able to go deep they're going to stick with the a players and so that really was a very conscious decision uh and one that has really benefited us um even to this day and so when you look out on the landscape as you were there you're going after these people and you were involved in Jim Rome, Glenn Beck, Bob and Tom, Steve Harvey, Keith Sweat, you know, just all Fox Sports, all these different things. Tell me, uh, firstly, in your mind, a talent that you met with and they walked out of the office and you said to yourself, I don't get it. That's that's that person isn't 
I don't think they're going to do well. And then they went to another competitor and they did really, really well. <laughs> and then tell me about somebody who walked in your office who you thought was going to have the makeup to be great on radio. And for some reason, the audience didn't come. Right. Well, I'm not going to address the first point, because the first one, because I would hate to um, say that I, you know, did not believe in someone that um, so I'm going to pass on that. But I'll certainly tell you lots more about ones that have walked in and you just, you know, get so excited about. I uh, we had um, we have um, a country artist now by the name of Bobby Bones. Bobby uh, was uh, in his uh, late 20s when I first met him and he was a top 40 um a morning show personality, number one in Austin, Texas, just killing it. You know, just he just had it. But he wanted to do a sports weekend show. I mean, this guy was going out every night. He was working. He was doing it. He was number one. But he wanted to do he wanted to do a weekend show, a live weekend show on Fox Sports. And so, um, and he wanted to do it with his buddy, Andy Roddick, who, the tennis star. And the two of them came in, and I was so not down for this when they came in. I, first of all, did not want to encourage Bobby to do one more thing. I thought it would have him lose focus on his morning show, and I just didn't get it. I could not wait to sign those two up. I said, are you all free this weekend? I'm going to find a slot on our weekend lineup. I want to hear you all on air right now. Don Martin, give your weekend up because I want you to stay right here and hear it. So, um, no, that was... um, I remember that very, very vividly. <laughs> it didn't go that well. Uh, and it was great. It, it was great. <laughs> it really was. But it was a weekend show. And then uh, I saw the power of Bobby Bones. And so we moved Bobby, who grew up in Oklahoma, from a top 40 format because we had Elvis Duran and others that had already sort of captured that space. And, uh, and we said, look... One of our biggest formats is country. Let's move this young, hardworking, smart, funny guy and his team into country. And it really has been a huge success for us right now. So that was um, so coming in to do a weekend show has ultimately ended up in a great winning country show for us. And of course, there were a lot of players involved in that country show, but it was um, uh, great to watch him. Uh, really grow. Wow. And I just want you to know the reason why I asked the question I asked, and I'm not going back for you to to answer (laughs) it again, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be persistent here. I'm going to give up my qualities is because history shows that ABC was hand delivered the Cosby show and Cosby by Tom Werner, who worked at ABC. It was his first thing out of the box after he left ABC. Here you go, ABC. Cosby's yours. And they said, no, thank you. Went to NBC and we all know what happened. Right, right, right. On the reverse scale, for those of you who know history, Roseanne went to NBC and NBC passed. 
on ABC, loved I the show, read. and took the show. So it happens all the time. It so that, does, so that's why yes. I went. So that's why I went there. So uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is the challenging part of your business in terms of moving up in the company. And as you're moving up in the company, sometimes, most of the time, all the time, you're passing some familiar faces that were in the trenches with you. They have a different perception of how hard they worked and how smart they worked. And you almost have to like, it's like a whole different kind of of navigation it is. It, it because is, you have yeah. to because then when you get the job you have to be a leader of men and women and you're leading people who you know go home and sit down with their wife or husband and say I just don't get it I mean I worked really hard I've put 12 years into this company I deserve that job and you as the president know that that's happening but you have to inspire them and get the most out of them in their workplace. How do you how do you do that? Well, treat people like you want to be treated first and foremost, and understand that um, you can understand the hurt that is involved in that. And so, I think um, being somewhat aware and empathetic uh, at the same time. You have to have those honest conversations to say, look, I am sure this hurts, but I want you part of my team. I need you as part of my team. And I think we can be a terrific, we can make great things happen. And if they are on, and I find that most of the time, if you're upfront with people that they want to get on board. There are those that want to and can't get through it. And I think ultimately, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and them and say, this isn't working. We have a lot of work to do. And while I understand you're upset, it's distracting us from what we are here to do. And so really, I have, you know, I'll try to do everything I can to help them find a position that takes advantage of their skill sets. And that's the only thing that you can do. If I put a truth serum in your veins right now <laughs> and I asked you, answer this true or false. When I walk through the hallways of my company, some employees walk on eggshells. Yes or no? Uh, true. I mean, I'm sure some do, but I, I don't like it. I, I have a, a completely open door policy. And, you know, that starts from the very top. The head of our company is Bob Pittman. And Bob has Bob and Rich Bressler, and they have complete open door policies. And by golly, if they can do it for a multi-billion dollar company, I can do it for my company. And so that's really important. I know this sounds odd, me asking, but what's your definition of an open door policy as a president of a company? You can email me or my assistant, get on my calendar for sure, and schedule time to come in and discuss any issue that you have. 
And that's, I mean, I can't say that I can be available at any given time, but I promise you, if you send me an email today, you are going to get a response to say, look, I'm sorry, this week is crazy, but Monday is, you know, we're going to schedule 30 minutes and, and let's do it. So anybody that has ever asked for a meeting is going to get it. And, um, and I, if you work for, you know, our company, you deserve that kind of respect. Which is tougher for you psychologically trying to figure out a way to turn a show around that's not doing as well as you hoped it would do or firing a colleague that you know that has been there for a while oh boy those are both tough because you're both you're you're talking you're talking about giving up and that's really hard for me um, I would say um, uh, uh, I would say firing a colleague is really difficult because we invest so much time together uh, but it has to happen sometimes and that unfortunately is the reality of the business world and so again I try to think about what the skill set is. I try to prepare together. We don't do it. I don't want anybody to be surprised by having to leave us. Um, it's not a fast process, uh, but it's an honest one, et cetera, but it doesn't make it any easier. No, I don't. But then giving up on a show is hard too. So, uh, but a colleague is, um, you know, a one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship. That was very profound what you said about the feeling of that you just never want to give up. I don't want to give up. I do not like that. I, you know, I always think, oh, wait a minute, if we can tweak it here. But, you know, but, but you know, at the end of the day, we are very um, realistic. And at the end of every year, we have to go through every show and say, look, it's, uh, it's either had a great run and it's time or we never got it moving as well as we wanted and let's take those resources and energy and start something new and is it are there ever situations with radio shows similar to like let's say a show like on television like parks and recreation or community which they're where they're just critically acclaimed television shows that never get a really big number but they keep bringing it back because it's critically acclaimed. Is there such a thing in radio where there's a show where you know the guy's a genius or the woman's a genius, and but the rating is low, but you just say, you know what, everybody, this person's in another league. We got to try to keep it going even though the ratings are not or you just have to get out right we there was a genius it is a genius phil hendry phil can do a hundred different voices and uh, during the course of a three-hour evening show he would be the host of the show he would be interviewing guests he would um uh, he, and he it was the same character and it, it's he, an amazing yeah, show where there, there. I don't think there is ever anybody else as a guest. It's just uh, him, and the calls are him. Right, Everything's exactly. him. Exactly, and the callers were he, and uh, you know, part of the callers were he, and and then other callers were calling in, and and people were just outraged with the things that the callers were saying, and it was, uh, but it was a late night show, and um, and. 
it, it's exhausting for him to do that. And I think at some point we just had to say goodbye to that. But that was a that was a heartbreak because that is an amazing show. Um, we have a uh, we have a paranormal show with George Norrie Coast to Coast, and it's. Um, it's just, you know, it's an overnight show, but we have made it a huge success because it's just so different. And I, you know, just do not believe in para, you know, I really don't give it much thought, but I will turn that show on <laughs> and I am, I am like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that's really out there. And then I'll awaken the next day and go, what in the hell was I thinking about? Then of course that couldn't be true, but I'm, you're so drawn in because the storytelling is amazing. And it's an original concept for a radio Completely. show. You don't think yes. about it. Right, right, right. Um, you don't think about it at all. Tell me about like certain things that get syndicated from television that I don't know what it is. I'm 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 just drawn to it. I'm not saying it's your company, but like sometime I'll be on the radio driving and I'll be listening, tuning a channel in or whatever. And there's forensic files is on or it's a television show. It's like about murder or something. But I've watched it on television, but it's on the radio and I can't stop myself from listening oh, to it. Oh, that's great. Does you... that happen often where a television show? Well, we really like the idea of creating audio um uh, creating new audio. Got it. Um, um, it's a hit or miss with the television, and um, and I think it kind of reinforces what's happening on television. But since we're so theater of the mind, it really is, you know, we really do love to create new and creative types of audio. So like when ESPN does a sports center and they do the audio from the sports center, your feeling is that's... You know, that's it just works really... for them. You know, it works for them. Um, we just take a, a different tactic on that. You know, we just like to um, we th we think that people listen. We think that audio is a different medium than television, and so we think that we can uh, provide it in a, a, a slightly better way than that. So, before you got promoted to president of Premier Networks in 2014. Were you thinking throughout the time you were there, like from the moment you get there? Because I, I don't think people know what's in the head of a great executive. Like from the moment you get there, is there a mindset that says, my goal is to be great here to where I'm worthy of being chosen to be president of this company? You know, I, I really wasn't worried or thinking about being president when I first joined. But what I was concerned about was that I wanted to be in all of the meetings with the presidents because I wanted to contribute. I didn't care what the title was. I didn't really care about that. But I definitely wanted to ensure that I was contributing in the right way that made me feel good for a company of deciding a strategy and then executing in a creative way and then having the business run in an effective way. So I just wanted to make sure that I had access at all times to strategize and um, and they were and this company has been really great about that from the very beginning that you know um, when it was Mark Mays 
running the entire company, you know, he was always open to, you know, ideas and working together. And when it was Craig Kitchen as our president, we did everything together. And so that is, you know, it's the kind of environment, even though you're a really large corporation, it's still one that's based on uh, creative brainstorming. And so I really love that part of it. Awesome. All right. So we're going to head on the final roundup here. I'm going to ask you some questions here because I think these are important for the audience. One thing that I regret in my uh, career is that I had a writer that I represented that was the head writer of the George Lopez show, the late night talk show. And no matter what happened, no matter what went on there, the ratings for George Lopez's show were not strong. But you watched George and you watched the show and you saw a guy that was an unbelievable performer. He was an invigorating interviewer. His stand-up always killed. The bits killed. The audience seemed to love him. He had a lineage of so many radio shows where he was extraordinary on the radio. Yet it wasn't necessarily working. And so the person in charge of the network called me and said that they wanted to remove the head writer. And they wanted to move, remove the executive producer and they were going to make a change. And I remember I sent a letter to him. And he was very upset about it because I, I, I sent it to him and the person who worked with him, who I perceived worked with him, who actually was his boss, the president. And he said to me, how dare you send a letter to me with my boss on that email? I said, I, I just perceive you guys working together. I didn't think of it as one way or the other. He said, listen. I'm in charge of this. I take care of this. And if I make a decision to remove your client from the show and the executive producer and bring two new people in, I'm going to make it. And I said to him, when in the history of television has there ever been a situation where a show has low ratings and you remove the head writer and the executive producer and put somebody else in does it ever take off like a rocket ship and become a huge hit? And there was a pause on the phone, and he actually forcefully uh, yelled at me, and he said, I'm well aware of the fucking history of television, Barry. What I'm doing here is I'm making an effort, and I'm not giving up. Yeah, I can give up, Barry, but I'm not going to because if there's a chance that I can turn it around, I'm going to make that change. But I know the odds that are against me. And luckily, we've spoken since and we've had a relationship (laughs) since. But for you, when you see a show that you... Has there ever been a situation in your career where a show had low ratings, you had promise for it, and you made a change where you took this co-host out, you put another wing, you put a different writer in, and it just took off, or does it never work? No. And, and, and he's right. You cannot give up. 
when you see something that you know should be working and it's not really working as well, then you've got to change the co-host. You've got to try. And I would say you've got a 50-50 chance. 50-50. Yes, I do. I really believe that because I think you really have a sense of what we've done incorrectly. And so that gives us time to really prep for how to bring somebody in that can do it in a different way. So I think you've got a 50-50 chance. Common. I'd like to do some uh, word association. I'm going to mention a name of somebody, and hopefully there might be an inspirational story or something unique to tell that could, you know, show our audience, wow, there are some really interesting or unique moments, or this person is really special, or they have a unique personality, or whatever it might be. Uh, Glenn Beck. The best storyteller I've ever known. Glenn Beck. Uh, you know, I can even tell one as recently as a you know, a few months ago, I'm in the car and I can't get out of the car because he's telling a story about when the French sent the Statue of Liberty blocks over and the directions were in French. And he starts talking about the story of the man who could read the French directions. <laughs> and I'm just saying the best storyteller. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Bob and Tom. Funny, just plain funny every single day. They they certainly are. Yeah, uh, every day. Keith Sweat. <sighs> smooth, smooth, very smooth. Elvis Duran. <sighs> the nicest guy in the whole world. So funny, loving, generous, kind. Not to say you work with him directly, but Ryan Seacrest. Love him, really, always open. Um, um, we call on him for so many things. He's so available. Really a uh, hardest, speaking of working in 15-minute increments, Ryan always uh, says to me when we were doing, when he was doing his morning show, during his morning show, we would have him do takes, different takes on the same thing he said because they had to be shorter. And so... He said when, you know, when we he would first see us, when we would start b because we needed to get these. So you do one interview and then you'd have to do it in 30 seconds as opposed to two minutes. And he said that he would just every word he would say would be, you know, even when it would be good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> you know, every possible version of that, because you've got 150 radio stations that need it in slightly different ways. That's fantastic. <laughs> I have only one experience with Ryan Seacrest that is memorable. I was at the um, the finale of American Idol. Okay. And I'm there and I'm backstage passes because I think Dane Cook was doing the finale. And... This is a live show which 30 million people watch. And they're like, you know, you hear over the microphone, okay, start rehearsal, start rehearsal now. And this man walks out who's not Ryan Seacrest, and he's running through the whole <laughs> rehearsal. And I whispered to the person I was with, you know, who worked on the show, like, who's that? Where's, where's Ryan Seacrest? Oh, Ryan, he doesn't. He doesn't do these rehearsals. 
like this is what do you mean this is the finale he doesn't do the rehearsal no you he, he doesn't he just comes and does it i'm like how is that possible he's so flawless talented. on the show it's flawless and i'm just standing at the rehearsal ends and it's about like literally 15 minutes before the show starts and I'm just back by the where the graphics packages are and these screens, and I'm just back there, and I'm just hanging out. And all of a sudden, I just hear his voice. Yeah, okay, go down. Okay, go down. And I'm like, what are these noises? I look over. He's standing over the teleprompter guy. And he's just reading everything he has to do one by one, just mumbling to himself. And then all of a sudden I hear, pats him on the back. Okay, I'm good. Thanks, 10, man. 10,000 hours. 10,000 10,000 hours, right? We know that scenario. 10,000 hours. He has done it so many times. <laughs> crazy, yeah, crazy. That, that is why it, he is perfect. He is. He's one-time wonder. Absolutely. Jim Rome. Standing in front of an amphitheater just with all of the clones. <laughs> Was that the first time a radio person had ever done the, what do you call it, the, the, the tour? Sports stop? First time, a, first time a sports character really had the adoration of, a, you know, filling amphitheaters. Yeah. It was uh, an amazing feat. And, of course, Jim Rohn loves horse racing, and uh, that's our other sport in Kentucky that we like. <laughs> yeah. I, um, he had a big win this past week. His horse beat California Chrome. I don't know about you guys that are not horse racing fiends, but he the big win out here. Yeah, it's like uh, when, when Jay was thinking about, you know, what he was going to do with the radio show versus television and film. One of the things we talked about was, you know, I don't know, Barry. Is it like, you sure it's going to be enough to be able to to make a living and do what I have to do. And I said, um, Jay, uh, I think you're well aware that Jim Rome owns four racehorses. You don't own a racehorse if you're not doing well. You don't know You don't know Joe who's homeless in Watts who owns a racehorse. It doesn't really happen that way, you know, so. And, uh, he, and you know, he, he really initiated a real different style. Absolutely. You know, he had his own lingo and... So it was all um, very timely for him. Bob Pittman. Creative. Um, always looking for the best idea. And it can come from anyone in the company. Which is very, very important. So important. And some people don't. Some companies, that's that's a no-no. Oh, no. Yeah. Everybody is, well, he is, he really encourages, he sets up ways for communication to occur that way. He is really and incredibly hardworking. My first podcast with Doug Herzog, he told the story of how his, one of his younger, younger executives, Debbie Liebling, um, tapped him on the shoulder and said, let's go in the conference room. I want to show you something. And he's like, okay. And she popped in the South Park Christmas card in a videotape and he played it three times and he said let's bring those guys in there let's do a deal with those that's guys great. and a billion dollars later that's great that is so great the relationship with fox sports radio uh wonderful partners 
really great partners. Um, I think that, you know, it gives us the opportunity to brainstorm uh, together on, uh, you know, what the possibilities are for um, innovative sports. Steve Harvey. Hard-working, hardest-working man in, in, you know, as he says, I'm the hardest-working man in radio. (laughs) But really incredibly, um, um, uh, incredibly generous. Got it. Last but not least, (laughs) Jay Moore. Oh, so creative, so fun, always loves to have a good time. And I think when you're doing a radio show, you've got to love what you're doing and you've got to have a good time. The only job, I worked with him for 25 years, the only job he's ever said is the best job he's ever had in his entire life. And I am looking in the eye and telling you that. Never said that. He's worked with Tom Cruise. He's worked with like 13 Academy Award winning movie stars. Just worked with Clint Eastwood and Matt Damon. Best job he's ever had. Oh, that's so fun. Listen, I, uh, you know, I always forget that I don't see them every day because I get a chance to listen. So he's like, oh, I haven't seen you for so long. And I'm always thinking, really? Oh, because you're my companion on the radio. But I know he's having fun. You can hear it. Your biggest disappointment professionally that you took that disappointment and you turned it around and made it into a positive that helped you build on your career. Every year we have to cancel shows. And I, you know, I don't like it, but I, but I take that energy and I know exactly, um, you know, the great people that have worked on it. And I can just see where we can take those people and what we can do and where we can put new energy and not just keep going down a path of, of just trudging through and getting through something new with some, you know, with a new twist. Great. Great. That's right. Your proudest moment professionally. Oh gosh. Um, I have never even thought about that. I think that, you know, I am so proud of everybody on my team so that when I have the opportunity to see that um, Alyssa Pollock was just one of the top Billboard uh, nominated women and that Jennifer Lime Gruber was another one of the highlighted women and that um, Bill May is my greatest engineer, I'm just really proud that I've had the opportunity opportunity to hopefully have some impact on their career uh, and uh, and just have the privilege of working with them. Last and final question. What advice do you have for the young executive who's starting from the ground floor to figure out a way to have the kind of career that you've had? And also, what advice do you have for the young artist who's starting out who somehow can figure out if they have the right skill set to get Mm -hmm. to the place where Steve Harvey is or Ryan Seacrest or a plethora of people that you've seen and you brought to fruition and helped with their talent become so successful? Well, for the young executive, um, treat everyone like you want to be treated with respect uh, and camaraderie. And it is the hard work, 
don't if you if you are tired and you don't want to finish up the project and it's just gonna take three more weeks to get done now show those people you can get it done fast fast immediacy urgency everything that we're trying to do is we need urgency we you know let's decide are we going to move forward are we not but let's not draw it out let's let's meet during christmas and decide on january 2nd you know um and then for the young talent you have to keep 10,000 hours it's 10,000 hours of doing, if you're a comedian, of do stand-up comedy. The Beatles, the, why were they so great when they came here? Because they had 10,000 hours of playing together in every horrible bar throughout Europe. Um, and uh, so it is really about, don't, don't say, I just want to stand up and do a national show when at a small club, make sure that you've got everybody loving you and then go to a larger club and make sure that everybody loves you there. Start at a local radio station and win and win big. And then let's talk about expanding, but don't say I'm going to be national because that's really what I want to do. Julie Talbot. You are first class. Oh, Barry, thank you so much for having me. And he's got a wonderful crew here. <laughs> and um, I had no idea what to expect. And I'm still not sure why he is having me here. But I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you very much. Your first podcast ever. Ever, ever. And your last? <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly hope not. <laughs> thank you so, so much. Oh, great. Thanks a million. All thank right. you, guys. And as always, if you like the show, tell all your friends. If you don't like the show, tell all your friends. This, (laughs) This is Barry Katz with another episode of Industry Standard. They say it's the glory. I'll scream your name. Put you on shoulders. Walk you to fame You'll get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same Pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.